And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. What was the bake this week? So, this week I made blueberry muffins from scratch. Mm. We already had some. Yes. They were so good. Um, well, and Emily, I forgot, Emily doesn't like blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, here, eat this. And she's just such a polite person. She just goes for it. She eats it. And then as soon as she took a bite, I had a flashback back to when we were like growing up and she always refused the blueberry pancakes. Yeah. And I was like, oh God. I'm so sorry. Oh no. But you liked it, right? Yes. I am growing on to... <laughs> I did. Blueberries are growing on me. <laughs> so I sounds like a medical issue. You need to get that checked out. <laughs> You're funny. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been trying new things. So I'm yes. 23. I I should probably start liking blueberries. Yes. <laughs> the awesome thing about muffins is chances are you already have all of the ingredients in your house. Yeah. Um and then all you had to get was the blueberries and I already had frozen blueberries, so it was perfect. Uh whipped them right up. So I picked it because this kind of takes place in alaska yeah primarily i know it um it's kind of throughout the whole united states right Right, yeah so anyway um but mainly in alaska and then i was looking up you know foods that are common in alaska and it's like king crab and all this (laughs) seafood and so I decided not to go with the gourmet king crab at 10 in the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought no maybe. salmon for breakfast. <laughs> you know, they also have berries. Yes. Bears that like to eat the berries. Bears. <gasps> Speaking of bears. Okay. This is like a side note that has nothing to do with this case, <laughs> but I'm going to, it's still kind of true crime. So I've never heard of this case before, but mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty funny. Also sad. But, um. So, I saw, like, on Twitter that this movie called Cocaine Bear is being made, um, directed by Elizabeth Banks, and it's, like, a true story about this bear that consumed, like, 70 pounds of cocaine, and I was like, what the heck? So, I looked into this, and it happened in, like, 1985, and this guy was um, trying to smuggle drugs, and he, like, tossed him out of his plane into, like... I don't know, it's in Kentucky somewhere, and um, somewhere where there's bears, and he jumped out of the plane, Try like, obviously his goal was to, like, land and gather up what he tossed out of the plane, but his parachute didn't work, oh. and he died on impact, so there's just cocaine on the ground, and this bear comes by and <laughs> ate 70 pounds of cocaine, and just kind of went crazy and then his heart exploded from the overdose he definitely overdosed (laughs) yeah but i was like kind of laughing because i was like what the heck is this and then but it's also sad for the bear how do you make a how do you make a movie on that i I don't know i'm very curious as to what's gonna happen Did he go on a rampage and kill a bunch of people? No. Oh, so his bears. <laughs> his bears. No, nope. high in the woods. He traveled about sixty miles. Oh my god. He was probably just like, so, oh, yeah. like pumping. He was so, just like running, galloping. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, on his hind legs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what's gonna happen in this movie with this bear, I wish, but I wish that like. There was just footage of the whole. Scene. I know because that's so unethical to actually test out intention intentionally. Yeah, on the bear. Yeah, but it would be very interesting to see the effects <laughs> of something that's like cocaine on a bear. They find a dead bear, yeah. and they're like, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't think twice. I'd be like, oh, nature. But mm-hmm. they, someone decided, how did you get here? Let's do an autopsy on this bear and find like. Because they're miles and miles apart, they probably wouldn't connect it, but... Uh, right. But, no, they did an autopsy or whatever you do on a bear and found all that cocaine in the system. That's crazy. Maybe they found the scene of, like, the, the dead guy and the ripped open bags of cocaine, <laughs> oh, no. and then they're kind of like, okay, so this guy died here, a bear came, where's the bear? Right. <laughs> <laughs> now let's find this bear. Oh, wow, poor thing. Is- 
I really, I would, I feel like this is gonna be a horrible movie. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know how, how it'll that. be good, but uh, I really want to see. I it, hope though. it is. <laughs> I'm still gonna see yeah. it. I don't oh, know how well, they're gonna do this. We'll I know it's live action, it. so it's not animated. <laughs> so who's gonna play the bear? Who knows? <laughs> oh my gosh! <sighs> That's just hilarious. Yeah, or, I just, mean, it's it's hilarious, but it's sad. R.I.P. Yeah. Bear. Yeah, all right. His name is um Pablo Escobar, <laughs> and he's stuffed now. <laughs> Taxidermy. <laughs> oh my goodness! I was really excited about this when I found it out, so I just thought I'd share. That is that's amazing. Um. <laughs> anyway, so Emily. Yeah, anyway, who are we actually covering this week besides Pablo Escobar? <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, we are covering Israel Keys. So I have like heard of him before, but I don't really know like the details and stuff. And it turns out this happened a lot uh, sooner is the word I think I'm looking for. Yeah, more recent than I thought it was. Like I thought this happened like a while ago, but he's caught in 2012. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, let me go back. So he was, Israel Keys was born in Cove, Utah, and he was the second of 10 children to Heidi and John Keys. That is a lot of children, I can't imagine. But um, they were the kind of family that didn't believe in like government interference and modern medicine or public schools so not that you're like a total weirdo if you're like not into that but like kind of some aspects of it yeah i guess the biggest thing for me like not the public schools thing though that don't not believing in modern medicine like yes uh come on people (laughs) right like let's we advanced for a reason exactly (laughs) Okay. These things do tend to work. So the family eventually um, decided to just move out into the woods, um, totally isolated from other people and society. They basically only talked to people and rejoined society when they went to church. So they were also a religious family. Um, and in their home in the woods, they grew up without heat or electricity. And this was now in Washington when they decided to move. So Israel Keys, obviously growing up in the woods, they learned how to like be self-sufficient out there, go hunting for food and stuff like that. Um, and he says later that this hunting and learning how to do that all the time, like every day, played a big part into his killing later so don't blame the hunting i know (laughs) (laughs) so the church they were a part of was church of the latter-day saints but they left that church to become fundamentalist christians which is a white supremacist church oh yeah so it's very interesting um that shift in ideology i don't know or if they had that all along or I don't know. But right, like why why would they decide to Yeah. I wonder but, what what instigated that. Yeah. Um so then they relocated to Maupin, Oregon. So they move around a lot, but um primarily growing up it was in the woods in Washington. So in Oregon, they moved to live next to an Amish community. Oh wait, hold on. They went to Oregon. And they moved again to live in an Amish community or near an Amish community in Maine. So, yeah, they're just bouncing around all over the place because I guess they're, like, not satisfied with whatever's (laughs) going on there. Wait, they moved from Oregon to Maine. Yes. That's a big move. Yeah. Oh, and so growing up, Israel Keys liked to break into neighbors' homes to steal guns and... He said, in quote, he would pursue anything with a heartbeat and torture animals, a behavior that is, you know, well known to be linked to psychopathy. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then while in custody, later on, 
Keyes said, I've known since I was 14 that there were things that I thought were normal and that were okay and nobody else seemed to think were normal and okay. That's a little alarming. Yeah, and that's... uh, seek out help. Right, and so since he said I've known since I was 14, um, some investigators believe something happened when he was 14 and that he possibly could have been killing since he was 14. Oh, that's a good point. Um... So, that he never, like, said anything about any crimes at that point in his life, mm-hmm. but, um, it's possible. He was, he was a thief as well, like I said, so it, crime was kind of not unfamiliar to him, but he was never caught for those things when he was younger. So, when he was a teenager, he finally told his parents he did not share their faith and religion and that he could no longer live with them for that. Oh, um, he cut ties with his father completely as well, but he did remain close to his mother. So, again, there wasn't much to say other uh, in his childhood if something happened with his father to make him not, like, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, all it said was he cut ties with his father but was close with his mom. So, there's something going on there, but I cannot tell you for sure. In July 1988, he joined the U.S. Army, and by all records and feedback from people who knew him in the Army, he was a very well-behaved and good soldier, Um, and he did very well in the Army. And I think maybe it was like a way to get, I don't know, whatever he was like seeking out like action and being able to use a weapon like legally and Mm -hmm. like you know maybe it was that because he has um yeah he was just reported as being very good soldier uh he spent time in egypt as a soldier in fort hood in texas and in fort lewis in washington and he did have a dui once while he was in the army but no other problems with trouble or the law like ever um he had an honorable discharge in 2001 and moved to the maca reservation which is a native american reservation and he lived there with a woman and they had a daughter together oh i believe so he does have a child okay what i was trying to say the Macaw Reservation is in Washington. So he has moved back to Washington. Okay. Um, but we're going to shift to Anchorage, Alaska, um, because this is where he is caught for his crimes. So what was happening in Anchorage at the time? It's February 1st, 2012 in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, an 18-year-old girl named Samantha Koenig vanished from her place of work which was at like an espresso stand like it's not a coffee shop like you know like a food truck but it's like Mm -hmm. for coffee um and that night february 1st her boyfriend got text messages from her saying i'm going on vacation i'm tired things like that and they he contacted her family and they were all immediately suspicious because they're like she's not just gonna leave yeah I don't know why people who tried to cover their tracks by, like, texting, like, I'm going to go. Like, obviously, these people would know if they're the kind of person I know. to do that. Kendra can tell even if I, if someone's texting for me, just based off of how I'm texting. Yeah. If I, I've had, there's been several times where I've had, like, a, if I'm doing something, I'll have a friend, you know, text him off my phone for me. And he'll be like, is something wrong? Are you okay? Are you yeah. mad at me? <laughs> because of how how I text versus... Mm-hmm. So it's it's obvious a lot yeah. of times. Unless you know that person, you can't just... And then to say just, oh yeah, I'm going on vacation. A majority of people understand that like that's not going to actually happen. Like Yeah. I mean, if your sister were to just text you saying, I'm gone, I'm going on vacation, you'd be like, I'd be like, haha, you're funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's no, it's just silly. Yeah, there's no way. So 
they looked at security footage um, of her place of work, and it shows a masked man coming up to the stand as she's getting ready to close um, for the night, and it's around 8 p.m. that night. And on the camera, you can see her, like, approach this person, but then back up and, like, lift her arms up, um, kind of in, like, the position, like, if someone was pointing a gun at you, you would, like, don't shoot, you know, lift your arms up, like that. Um, you can't see for sure if whoever is there is pointing a gun at her or not, but the mm. investigators kind of assume something. So, yeah. So, then she turns the lights off, assumingly because the person there told her to, and you can see this figure jump right through the window of the espresso stand, and then you see the two of them walk away, and because she turned the lights off, he must have known, I feel like, that there was a camera there, because he remained out of, like, in the blind spot, and then said, like, turn the lights off, so he couldn't fully be seen. Right. Um... So that, that's my assumption. Like, perhaps he knew there was a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two of them walk away. And that was, like, the last trace of her, of Samantha, is this footage. And nobody knows where she is for a while, for a few weeks. And there was enormous pressure to solve this case and this panic going on in Anchorage. So the FBI got involved. And Special Agent Catherine Nelson was one of the leads in finding information about Samantha. Um, and Samantha, from what she found, was very sweet, caring. She was a good worker, not someone who definitely would have been, like, involved with anything shady. Right. Yeah. And wouldn't have, like the text messages said, wouldn't have just left and dropped everything. You know, um, when I'm thinking about it, when you initially were t- telling the story and you said a masked man came up to the coffee stand mm-hmm. or whatever, the espresso stand. Yeah. Um, you know, I honestly pictured a surgical mask and I'm like, oh, well, yeah. good for him. Like, that was like my first thought. <laughs> because of, yeah. Because of like COVID and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, we always have to wear the masks now. Everyone's wearing so then one. it kind of made me think like. That's really kind of dangerous for crime as far as trying to figure out who people are because they can just be wearing a mask and it's normal. Right. I mean, I was walking in a tractor supply store the other day, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, most of the men in there were wearing, like, bandanas around their face instead of, like, a mask. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, if this was a different time, if this was a year ago from today... I would feel very alarmed. Yeah. You can't see people's faces. You can't if someone them. was wearing a mask like that in public, I'd be like, you're up to something. But now I'm just, everyone's so used to it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you're just paranoid. or Well, or you're doing the right thing. Right. <laughs> and depending on where you're at. Yeah. So her boyfriend was very quickly ruled out of investigation. They knew it wasn't him. Because he had gotten these text messages, and he was home, and just everything checked out for him. So, 10 days after she was missing, there was a vigil held, and hundreds of people came. So, the community really, they cared, and they wanted to know what was going on with her, and, you know, supported the family. But people were starting, at this point, it's 10 days into investigation, people started to believe she was possibly out in the Alaskan wilderness. Um, Not sure how or what was going on, but people, you know, I guess it would be a common assumption. Alaska is so vast, you know, someone could easily be lost out there. Yeah. And something, you know. I mean, I can see that, like, when we were in Canada. Those woods are so dense. Yeah. And just huge that it's it would be easy to get lost very easy yeah so three weeks after her disappearance a text came to her boyfriend again that said connor park sign under pick of albert ain't she purdy and this it's like spelled weird too and it's very weird um so her family instantly goes out to connor park um, before even contacting authorities. Because, I mean, they're your family. I'm sure they're, like, desperate. So they just go out there. 
and they see there's a picture of a missing dog named Albert posted which is what the text would refer to and underneath the picture was a plastic bag that had paper and photo in it so at this point they're like the family is like well we better not touch this so even though they rushed there to see what it was they called the cops before touching it and inside that bag it was a picture of samantha and a long note that was typed out asking for thirty thousand dollars to be put into samantha's bank account because this person had access to it he had stolen her id and debit cards so he's planning on using it which is stupid because um that's easily traceable right (laughs) duh they're not just gonna be like here's the money we won't watch you right (laughs) and he said into samantha's account so now they know to look at samantha's account like i don't know it's a stupid move yeah that was kind of stupid but samantha's dad put five thousand dollars into the account um and sure enough just a few hours later he used it at an atm and the security camera at this atm showed him in gloves a hooded sweatshirt and a mask so and the mask is like like you said like one of those bandana ones Mm -hmm. um so you can't really see who he is you really uh it's very hard to tell but it's still very helpful and it puts a pinpoint of him somewhere in anchorage wouldn't that just drive you crazy knowing that your relative is in the same town as you still yeah so investigators rushed to this ATM, but apparently they missed him by minutes. And um, I'm assuming they know that because of footage, like he had left, right. bef- you know, right before they got there. One week later, there was another withdrawal from uh, Samantha's account at an ATM in Wilcox, Arizona, 4,000 miles away. So he had gotten to Arizona in that week, and... I don't know how the investigation was going. I'm assuming they're probably still looking around the area, but now they're like, well, now we've got to we've got to travel for this case because he keeps traveling. They have hits of the account in ATMs in Lordsburg, New Mexico, uh, Humble, Texas, and Shepherd, Texas. Do you know of how much he's pulling out each time or around? Not sure. No. Because I wonder if it's like he's maxing it out every time or if he's just kind of pulling out what he needs. (laughs) I think he's probably pulling out what he needs, trying to make it last or something. Well, I would assume so. I don't know if that's true or not. But also, um, he says later he was also robbing banks to help fund his travels. So I guess the $5,000 wasn't enough for him. Yeah. He wanted the full 30. So he was also like robbing banks and amazingly not being caught. I don't that's crazy um so they figure out from where like the atms are that he's hitting that he is heading east along the i-10 so now they're trying to follow his footsteps they know he's traveling i-10 and maybe they can get somewhere along this route before him and luck would have it in one of the atm videos along this route they see a white Ford Focus in the background. So now they have a vehicle and investigators start to look for it and they're, the word is out, like to, like it's, it's out to the public. If you see this Ford Focus, contact somebody immediately, follow them or something, you know, mm-hmm. don't approach him, but, you know, do your part, I guess. And so on March 13th, the Ford Focus is seen in a parking lot of a hotel in Texas. And a trooper, a state trooper, follows him because they know about this car, obviously. And when he gets in the vehicle, the trooper just casually is following him to see, like, he, as a cop, you can't, like, automatically assume. But, like, this guy is, like, this is the vehicle we're looking for, right. has that instinct. So he's just following him. And sure enough... Um, Keys starts speeding at some point. So the trooper's like, now's my chance. Pulls him over for speeding. Sees um, on his ID that his name, this guy's name is Israel Keys. And so the trooper searches the car. And in this car, he finds Samantha's ID, 
her debit card, her cell phone, and a gun. Wow. Yes. So his instinct was top-notch. He was very observational. Good job to this trooper. Mm -hmm. So he is arrested and extradited back to Anchorage, Alaska. At this point, he is... So he doesn't live in Anchorage, but because this they're investigating Samantha, and this is where it happens, so that's why he's extradited back there. Mm-hmm. And Special Agent Jolene Godin uh, was one of the people... There was kind of a, a small group of FBI agents who interrogated him, and she was one of them. And she said, at times talking to him like sitting was like sitting down with your neighbor and just chatting and then other times like the hair on the back of her neck would stand up that he was able to like switch like that yeah yeah um he was 34 years old at this point he's a construction worker and lived a very quiet life seemingly with still married oh yes yeah he's married And there were no reports of any violence or any disturbances against him. He only had that one DUI on his record. So people who knew him around town, they were very shocked. And someone at the U.S. Attorney's Office actually knew him and had hired him in the past as a handyman. And so he had been in this uh, person's house, obviously. And he said, the person who worked at the attorney's office said, that Keys was just the kind of person you would just hand the keys to your house to and be like, oh, if I'm not home, you can go in and fix it or whatever. Like, that he was just a really nice guy, apparently. that shows you that you can't trust people that you don't know. know. You just... You just never know what's going on with people. Yeah. Yeah. So it did not take long, Keys, to fully confess, I think. And one of the agents said they thought... He wanted to tell his story because he just, it didn't take much to get it out of him. He admitted to killing Samantha pretty quickly. Um, he did have a few demands before. He said, yeah, I killed her, but I'll, I'll tell you the details if you follow some of my demands. So he wanted Starbucks, a Snickers, and a cigar. And they gave him those things. What the heck? I know. It's really weird. Was he just trying to see what he could get? I guess so, yeah. You know what? This store would really go well with some Starbucks and cigar. Yeah. That's the only way that I'll tell you anything. Yeah. I don't know. But it's... um, And you can also watch this entire... Well, there's seven months of interrogations, but you can watch interrogation videos. Um, They are out there on the internet if you're interested. And it's very... The investigators are very, like oh, hey, how are you? You know, using that tactic of Mm -hmm. let's be very conversationalists and chill out. And it worked because he was very relaxed with them. And that's why they think he was comfortable enough asking like, oh, can I have a snack or whatever? And, you know, I feel like that's the way to go. Like maybe the good cop, bad cop thing is kind of, Maybe you have to decide who you use that on, but it seems like majority of the time, just letting the person know, like, hey, I'm here for you. I just need you to tell me the truth so that we can do everything we can to help you. Yeah. And being, like, friendly with them. Because, um, what was that? That was our, where he watched that, um, why am I blinking? Oh, the the Chris Watts Yeah, the one? Chris Watts yeah. murder. So, what I was thinking with that was, you know, how interpersonal they were and he they were touching him even though mm-hmm. they knew what he was capable of and that like he had that he had killed his family yeah they're still showing him compassion and able to like reach out and touch someone mm-hmm. i would feel i would just be so robotic in doing that but they were yeah. just so natural with it they knew what they were doing yeah right so i feel like investigators are starting to do that more so now yeah i I feel like it works i know i yeah makes the person feel comfortable being an investigator would be like you never know how it's gonna go like you can try like okay we're gonna try to be his friend and if he like completely rejects that you gotta like flip your tactic and flip your personality Mm -hmm. like that's that's a a skill for sure it definitely is being able to read people yeah he admits, or he says in his story, that he held a twenty-two to Samantha, and that is how he got her to go with him. 
um which is basically what they had assumed from the video anyway mm-hmm. so he they asked her well why why her why there and he said um why that coffee stand and he said well it was open late so it was just completely random he had not sought samantha out he had not followed her or stalked her it was 100 percent random victim um at one point samantha had broken free and started to run but he managed to catch up to her and he tackled her to the ground and told her um he planned to hold her for ransom and that he would let her go to get her to like stop struggling which was a lie good to know you know i i whenever we are talking about these murders and everything i'm always like okay so what would i do in this situation yeah and i feel like that would kind of calm me down i'd be like okay all right great right we'll pay ransom i mean that would be you know you're so desperate to believe you're gonna live and if someone told you that it it kind of would be a comfort like okay they just want money I'll I mean, be fine. Yeah. If, or, the, if the person kidnapping me told me, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you, I'd be like, oh, okay, sorry, yeah, I was worried, thanks. Right, <laughs> like, because you'll do, when you're so scared, you'd do anything to convince your mind, like, that you're going to be okay, you know? Right. So, I, yeah, I feel like you would definitely latch on to that information and be hopeful about it. But, unfortunately, yeah, that was a lie. He didn't plan on doing that. Well, he did ask for the ransom, but he was always intending to, that, kill, her. to kill her. Yeah. So he chained her up in his shed and sexually assaulted her and then strangled her to death. So, and one of the investigators said he was talking about this, of about the murder and attack of this 18-year-old girl, like he was talking about what he got for lunch. Like he just did not care. There's some sort of disconnect with people that can do that. For sure. And, um... And one of the investigators said, like, it was just so surreal because in the back of her mind, she was thinking, like, you have a daughter and you did this to someone else's daughter. Like, and he just total disconnect, like, is able to separate those two things. It's so bizarre. That's horrible. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm hmm. So within hours of murdering Samantha, he went on vacation to the Caribbean with his family. And he had left Samantha in his shed for two weeks while he was on vacation. So he was not in Anchorage that whole time. Um, And when he returned from that trip is when he left the ransom note um, for them, because that was three weeks later and after her disappearance. And he drove to, okay, Matonoska Lake. I don't know. Um, and disposed of her body there. And he had drilled a hole and went ice fishing in the lake. And he tied up her body with, I think it's baling, balling wire in weights. Um, and he placed her parts of her body down the lake in three trips. And as he... And one of the investigators said, like, did you fish? And he's, um, did you catch any fish? And he's like, yeah, I caught fish. And the investigator said, well, what did you do with them? And he said, well, I took them home and ate them. And the investigator was just, like, floored that he went out there and, like, disposed of her body and then went fishing and just, like, went home to eat dinner. And, like, he said it really just, like, disgusted him a lot. This is, he's just so bizarre. There's just some, mm-hmm. and the fact that they say, oh, it's just like talking to my neighbor, or oh, he's just such a friendly guy, like, but he's capable of doing yeah. that. Yeah. Ooh. And that leads into, so in the interview, you can hear them say, Israel Keys says, I'm two different people, basically. And assistant U.S. attorney Frank Russo asked, how long have you been two different people? And he says, he he laughs and then says, long time, 14 years. So oh. now Frank Russo is thinking, he's a serial killer. This isn't just Samantha. Right. And Frank Russo believes, first of all, that was a good question of him to say, how long have you been to mm-hmm. different people? Because that can give you an estimate and um, of what are we looking at? What's the scope here? And right. the fact that he succinctly says, 14 years 
that is a specific date he mm-hmm. it wasn't just like oh mm, well long time he, yeah he said 14 years so now they're thinking we definitely have a serial killer we have to start f- figuring out what his patterns are what does he do mm-hmm. and try to figure oh, all that past out. 14 years especially. yes mm-hmm. that was a really good question yeah I I I'm always trained. impressed with investigators. I know. I wonder if they're trained to ask questions like that or if that's just kind of one of those spur of the moment. Because there are times where, like, if I feel like Kendrick's being fishy about something or whatever <laughs> and I, like, start questioning him, there are moments where, like, it dawns on me and I know the perfect question to ask and then <laughs> yeah. I corner him. <laughs> and I could be a good investigator. <laughs> but I wonder if that's, like, a trained thing or if that just question just came to him and... Right. Oh, he knew. <laughs> he knew. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go home and be like, pat myself on the back. Like, like I job. did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they knew he had traveled a lot over this period of time of his life. So they're starting to look at his travel patterns. He had gone to Washington, California, Wyoming, Texas, and Vermont. So they're contacting authorities in places he had visited do you have any mysterious or weird deaths, anything left unsolved that we could maybe try and see if there's patterns between all these different places? Mm-hmm. So, um, Keyes said at this point, so they're trying to ask him more information about what, have you, what were you doing on these trips? And he says, I'll tell you about everything. I'll give you every single gory detail. But he wanted something in return. Starbucks? there's a little more than starbucks this time so um they were like well what's that and he said i want an execution date whoa Mm -hmm. and assistant u.s attorney kevin field says for you and he said yes um and then frank russo said that keys wanted a promise that i'll get the death penalty if you do that then i'll tell you about all the people I killed. And they responded, well, the more murders, the more details you give us, the more likely it is that you are going to be killed. You are going to get the death penalty. (laughs) We can kill you. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I'll give you two bodies and a name. So it's kind of like, it's like this back and forth that they're doing now. Yeah. And because his whole logic with the execution date is, he says he wants to know for sure he's gonna die he doesn't want to sit in prison forever yeah well i mean you can sit in prison a long time on death row but he wants to know the date i want to know the date i want to be put to death for this which is i don't know not everybody wants that for themselves obviously but i know but i feel like that's the easier way out yeah yeah so i agree i would i wouldn't want to give it to him Mm mm-hmm yeah i'd be like no you just you don't get to just die, like you right? Have to you have to rat suffer. In yeah. <laughs> so, um, the agents are keeping up their act pretty well, and you can see this in the video as well. They're like laughing with him, like, "Oh, you're gonna give us a name? Like, okay, okay, and uh, um, we can work on that death penalty for you or whatever." Like really really playing it up and like mm-hmm. in the video it, it's just like so bizarre they really are like laughing with him and like oh did, did anyone get you a, did anyone get you your starbucks today like you know like stuff like that it's so bizarre i can't i can't do it i would not you know i just said i'd be a good investigator no i wouldn't <laughs> i would be you like can't be nice to those people i'd be talking to them like what did I'd you do down to them yeah, yeah. i'd definitely be talking down to them or like Oh, yeah, no, that's normal. Even though, like, I'm very obviously judging mm-hmm. them. The way, Casey, you can't hide any of your emotions <laughs> at all on your face. Like, there's no... If you were disgusted with them, you would... It would play on your face. So. <laughs> no, I really can't. My, uh... And my face turns so red with, like... Yeah. Any change of emotion. Yeah, you're right. You have absolutely no poker face. <laughs> don't i know i've gotten caught in so many lies <laughs> i don't i can't lie oh, that's yeah, a good thing right. though yeah i know yeah i guess it's a good thing <laughs> um so the 
names that he gave them is about a couple, Bill and Lorraine Courier, and they lived in Vermont. And he said he had killed the two of them. And it, they had, their case had gone cold because they had vanished in June 2011. So about a year earlier from him being caught. And, or a little, what is this? This is March or something. So yeah, March 2012. Um, so the case was cold for the couriers. And they said, well, what about them? How did you choose to go to Vermont? How did you choose to drive there and choose them? And again, he's, he's is like, no, no, no. I, I chose the state. And he planned that out where he was going to go. But he never planned any of the people. He decided to leave that all up like totally random. So that's it's strange how one part of the plan is very carefully planned. And the other part, which is a major part, is totally up to chance. And I feel like usually it's either totally random in every way or... Mm -hmm totally planned and this is like kind of split it's almost like he planned for it to be random like that's kind of how he's like i want this to be as random as it possibly can and for it in order for that to be the case then he can't plan it Mm -hmm. oh gosh yes it's that's scary yeah that is a type of serial killer with like no mo at least like Mm -hmm. i could be like thinking i don't know like hey okay I'm, i'm not their type i'm right yeah like (laughs) people who yeah like ted bundy definitely went for the same type of woman every single time yeah right the plan for um this murder he flew into chicago and drove east carefully planning that to be able to scatter his locations so if people looked back they'd be like he flew into chicago he would be in the chicago area right but he drove to vermont from there that's smart yeah unfortunately yeah unfortunately (laughs) yeah and he said he fully intended this trip um with the intent to murder somebody so he he knew that that was the entire it wasn't vacation at all that was the entire purpose of Mm -hmm. traveling around all these places he went to essex vermont and stayed in the hotel and while he was there he dug up a bucket he had buried there years earlier what yeah so this is the bucket so the bucket had 22 ammo for a 22 and like tools in it like duct tape rope blah 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 things like that um and he admits that he had buried similar tool buckets like this all over the country Ah. in random locations and he calls them his kill cash (gasps) imagine finding one of those buckets and you'd be like yeah the heck and then realizing i would call the cops if i ever saw something like that i don't think i i don't know if i would just because i mean Actually, if if I found, yeah, I would. I'm if it was now. just like tools or whatever, I'd be like, oh, that's weird. But like, if I like all the ammo that was there, I'd be like, this I is think weird. If I ever find ammo and duct tape together, right? Like ammo and a shovel together, then I'd feel very uncomfy and I'd call the cops. But I don't know if I found a. <laughs> this might just be the country in me. But if I found a bucket <laughs> of ammo in the woods. I don't think someone's stash for hunting later. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I would be more like, oh, someone's paranoid and <laughs> thinking the world's gonna end, and they're just burying this bucket here. <laughs> yeah, Casey's like mm, dig up my buckets on my property. Like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, like in case of like Walking Dead times, you gotta have your ammo and your guns hidden <laughs> right <laughs> for when that happens no in case of a zombie doomsday pop-up. prepper over here <laughs> but the duct tape's weird <laughs> i tow the line at the duct tape yeah that's just messed up <laughs> uh, okay so um he yeah so he had chosen just r- totally random locations all over the country buried them buried these kill caches and just decided hey if i'm ever back here and i want to murder someone here i know it's here 
And like, so that is like years in advance planning. Like you're going to kill someone there at some point. So you're going to stash your tools there and to remember exactly where you put it. Right. And that is crazy meticulous planning. You know, and and with that, I feel that it also takes kind of trial and error. So for over the 14 years, he's developed this mm -hmm. bucket idea and this like whole plan. So who knows what's happened, you know, in between that time that he created those buckets and everything. If he was like, you know, it would have been really nice if I would have had something here, like ammo and, you know, these tools, you know, next time I'm going to have a bucket, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that he's, that's kind of what he's been doing over the past 14 years. Yeah. Is developing his kind of technique. And a lot of them have not been found. These buckets so if you ever find most of them i think they said were in like orange home depot buckets so if anyone ever digs one up and there's stuff for like a 22 in it you may have found israel keys that would be uh, insane kill cash yeah yeah i feel like that sh there should be like a reddit page out there for people finding them i know that's crazy um what do you do with it i mean yeah, I, I think you'd call the police. Oh, yeah, because this um, investigation, by the way, is still ongoing. So, um, yeah, that would definitely be really useful yeah. information. I mean, even though you got the killer, you don't even have all the victims, probably. Yeah, exactly. So in the, the uh, bucket they find in Vermont, there was a silencer for a twenty-two, wood stock and plastic stock for a twenty-two, portion of a twenty-two rifle, and a drum machine with bullets. So oh that's... um some heavy duty stuff yeah <laughs> he, got, he got a silencer he's prepared mm -hmm. to yeah for sure um so after digging up these tools he went as he calls it hunting for his victims and he found the courier couple um like i said by chance he was just wandering through their neighborhood and he was specifically he had intended to find a couple. He was like, I'm going to kill a couple today. And he was looking for a garage that looked like it would be easy to bust into. And their house just happened to fit that. Wow. He breaks into their home pretty easily. He broke the glass on their garage door and was able to get in that way. Which is why I hate glass doors. I don't want them. My old house used to have, you remember, like those there were glass doors all around oh, the back yeah. and yeah. i always worried about it even like growing up i was like someone could just smash this and come right. inside well you had somebody trying to like break through your front door with a hammer or something yes. right yeah mm -hmm. so they could have easily gone through the back and just busted that window i know it's scary. scary fortunately with that incident at my house i believe um, we did call the police and they came and they were like, uh, we we're pretty sure it was just teenagers trying to get like prescription drugs because they stole some prescription drugs from our camper that night. Oh, okay. So it, I don't think Wasn't they were probably going to kill us yeah. or anything, but yeah, it was still scary. Right. Yeah. So then he immediately ties them up and puts the couple in their car, drives them out to an abandoned farmhouse that he had scoped out earlier. So again, with the planning, like he had picked a place to go. He wasn't going to kill them in their home because um, he wanted to be harder to find. He didn't want people to find them. And that's crazy. Like, yeah. Um, so he puts Lorraine upstairs in a bedroom and leaves Bill downstairs. And then Keyes decides to attack Lorraine first, but he hears Bill yelling and breaking free of the rope or whatever he's tied up with so he goes back downstairs and shoots bill multiple times and then goes upstairs and strangles lorraine and kills them both he puts both of them in the basement of the farmhouse and that's where he tells cops they are but when the police tried to go back there their bodies were never found so the house was demolished not long after the murders took place and taken and everything from that site was taken to a landfill. So the FBI searched oh the gosh. landfill for like 10 weeks, but never found their bodies or any remains or anything. So they're just lost, which is really sad. Right. That is really sad. 
But, I mean, you can be pretty confident that that actually happened because he's able to tell them to people yeah, where he took them. You know, there's kind of a good explanation as to why they can't find the bodies. Yeah. they not just, like, making it up. Right. The police fully believe that this happened. Mm-hmm. They fully believe that they're there somewhere, but they're just unable to find them. And they searched for 10 weeks. That's, like, really trying to, like... But, it, like, a landfill is so... So big and... Hard. Especially at that point, I mean, whatever remains there are probably just destroyed, so Mm -hmm. you'd find fragments of things. It was like over a year, too. Oh, yeah. Like a year, yeah. Um, I'm surprised they put that much effort into it, to be honest. Searching for 10 whole weeks, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know what the average time is, but that is a long time. Mm -hmm. Um. Keys was very, very careful most of the time with not leaving, like, any forensic evidence behind. And he was so confident that um, the FBI found one single fingerprint on an ammunition case that could solidly tie him to this crime. And they were very obviously relieved to find that Mm -hmm. because that is their one piece of solid evidence. And when they told him about the fingerprint, he laughed and was like, yeah, right. Because he knew he had been extremely careful. He knew he didn't believe them. And then they showed him the picture and they were like, this is your fingerprint. And he was like, this is direct quote. He said, wow, I'm impressed. Well, I'm disappointed in myself mostly, but I'm still impressed. Like... that's his attitude about this he's like i can't believe they caught me and like laughs and is like oh damn me like not being careful enough but wow good job they would they never ever would have found that because oh i guess maybe they would have gotten fingerprint from i don't know does does the whole database everything show everyone in america because if they were only if you have a record but, and he had the DUI, so he probably yeah. had a record. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So so that is the only... They could have tied him to it down the line. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't, you know, been confessing and everything. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it because it's like... It's so random. There'd be no way you could ever connect him to it. Because you can't even say he was in the right... In that area. Mm-hmm. As far as everyone else knew, he was in Chicago. Right. Yeah. So without this grand confession, they would literally only have had the finger, the one fingerprint. And I don't know if that, that would have been, been enough. enough. No, yeah. it would not have been enough evidence. No. Um, after that, after they find the fingerprint, he admits to killing four more people in Washington where he grew up. Oh, I put that in twice. But they asked him, were there any like, was there anything you wouldn't do? And he said the birth of his daughter convinced him to never target children. So he says, oh, "Oh, I told the line at that. However, before the birth of his daughter, a young girl named Julie Harris disappeared. And this is around the town where he grew up and they knew each other. Um, they had they had been seen speaking at like a public pool in town before, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of suspicion that he had something to do with Julie Harris's disappearance. She was twelve years old, and she vanished on March third, nineteen ninety six. And she was in she was a Special Olympics athlete, and she had prosthetic feet, and was last seen waiting for a ride to church. And her prosthetic feet were found by the Colville River um, not too long after her disappearance. And a year later, her skeleton was found. So a lot of people believe, like after he was caught, they believed he had something to do with it. Even though he's like, no, I never targeted children. I, I, that wasn't me. He claims absolutely, the police asked him about Julie Harris and he claims absolutely no responsibility. He's like, I knew her, but she was never a target of mine. But a lot of people don't believe him because this was before the birth of his daughter. I know. And he probably like, <clears throat> he might just be saying that for the sake of his daughter. Yeah, you possibly. Because I, I would be like, 
Oh, if he denies it, then he definitely didn't do it. Is yeah. what my initial thought would be. When you think more about it, you kind of think about, well, he does, you know, there are things that by confessing, he does have a family that he, that he knows will be judging him for it. So maybe that's his one thing is like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I, I did that. He, like, it's one thing he's actually guilty for is for yeah. killing a child. Yeah. Possibly. And so he doesn't want to admit to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it. Um, he claims his first attempt at murder was in 1997 or 1998 um, when he abducted and sexually assaulted a young woman in Bend, Oregon. And in the interview, he says, it was weird. She was scared, but also just talking about random stuff. I don't know. It was weird. I just, I was just convinced that I had screwed up that time in Oregon because, you know, I let her go. It was at that point. Oh, that's the end of the quote. And it was at that point he was in the military. um, And he had, or he had just gotten back from the military when he claims this first attempted murder happened. So it was, he was saying, like, I was just bored from inaction of not being in the military, and that's why I did it. Wow. Yeah. And so there were, he, there were never any names of who this woman might have been that got away. Um, so there's no one to contact, like, to back up this story. So, but this is who he claims was his first attempted murder in 1997. I, I don't mean to, like, laugh at how this woman obviously handled it but the fact that he's saying she was just talking this was just weird she yeah was talking too much uh-huh <laughs> like she was scared and all but it was just weird she was too weird for me to kill right basically like, i don't know that's okay. how i took it so take notes um yeah. be a chatterbox yes i don't know that could be go weird. but that could go either way but i know, you know. <laughs> good that's a kind of risky thing yeah but i don't know they do say to share details about yourself. Like, do they? Yeah, like say, "I have a family. I am someone's daughter." Oh, yeah, I'm the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> In that voice. In that voice. Okay. You need to do that, and they will be like, "She's weird, and she has a family." <laughs> I'm not gonna kill. It's weird, and she has a family. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. He also admitted to having killed somebody and sinking their body in Lake Crescent in 2005 or 2006. Investigators were not able to find anybody or find out who this person was, and he was—he didn't give any more details other than that he had killed someone in that area. And then he says there was another murder in New York while he was on a road trip there in 2009. And he also refused to give this person's name because he just enjoyed keeping some details, you know? Mm -hmm. But the police searched his computer and found a photo of a woman and her name of Deborah Feldman. And they went back to him and they were like, well, who's this Deborah Feldman on your computer who is in New York in 2009? And he was visibly and like very obviously like shaken and shocked when they showed him that. And like, oh, like, Another thing, like, with the fingerprint, he couldn't believe they found something that he didn't want them to know. Right. But obviously, they're going to look at your computer, dummy. Yeah. So, based off of his reaction, he didn't confess anything after that, but based off his reaction, they took that as confirmation that Deborah Feldman has been, or was, one of his victims. So, um, because hers was also a cold case. Wow. Um, yeah. So but why wouldn't see? Why wouldn't he confess to some things? I don't know. It's especially it's really if he wants weird. A death penalty. He, yeah, yeah. Especially, and that was their whole. They were like, "Well, if you tell us, the more people you've killed, you're gonna get the death penalty." And he still was just like, "No, I'm just gonna hold things back." Like that makes no sense. Yeah, it must be kind of what he's talking about with like having two different personalities. Yeah, I wonder if it's like there's a remorseful side of him that doesn't want to share it, but then every now and then his cocky side that kills people comes out. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so after seven months of interrogating him, Israel Keys killed himself. On December 1st, 
2012. He used a disposable razor to slit his wrist, and he attempted to strangle himself as well with his bedding. That didn't work out, but he died of blood loss. Why would they give him a razor? I don't know. Maybe they didn't. He just, like, had ways of finding one or getting hold of one, you know? Okay, I get it, I guess. Um, He left a suicide note that was soaked with blood, and they were, investigators were very hopeful this would have, like, confessions and details in it, Um, but it was just a totally random, bizarre sentences of, like, a rambling rant, you know? It made no sense. It was, like, full of incomprehensive sentences, like, crushed like a bug, you still die, and stuff like that, that they were like, okay, this is not helpful at all. There are no clues here. Why? Why? I feel like that happens kind of often with, I mean, obviously, there must be something with, like, serial killers, but they just seem to have just, like, word salad coming out of their mouth, just, like, bizarre sayings, like... Like a just psychotic break in right. that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, they found something else. They found 11 pieces of paper under his bed, and each one had a skull drawn on it in blood. And investigators believe this means that the, each of these skulls represent 11 people. So they believe he killed 11 people. Um and that seven remain unidentified so near green river wyoming investigators eventually found another one of his caches so they now believe there's a victim in that area that has not been found or identified yet but because they found one there they're trying to still search that area possibly but it's very hard all you know is the name of the town like you that there's a lot of ground to cover, you know. Did they ever find um, Samantha's remains? Yes, she was in the lake. Okay, I know that. I know that he confessed to her being in the lake, so they went out out there and they yes, found her. they found her in um, Montesco Lake, yeah. and then he confessed to dumping a body in Crescent Lake, and they never found anybody in that lake. Okay. Yeah. I know, cause that it seems like so. Really, he's only <laughs> ever had one body found. Um. Yeah. Yep. Besides that one woman that they're saying is proud, like the one woman on his computer that was a cold case. Yes. Um, heck? Yeah. And they know he definitely killed like Bill and Lorraine, but again, like, like their bodies were never found. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the late 2000s, uh, about May 2007, they know he was in California visiting Sonoma. Um, he also visited or talked about Canada a lot, and he had been in Canada, and is specifically Montreal. And at one point, the investigators, before he killed himself, asked him, did you ever kill anybody in Canada? And he said, Canadians don't count. What? So, yeah. So they also believe there's probably victims in Canada that he just never spoke about again. What? That makes no sense. Why? That's horrible. I know. I don't know. absolutely horrible. I don't know why he has a hatred for Canadians. Right? Like, how dare you, sir? So that's about all the information they have. That's all the leads that I know of that I could find in the articles that they have so far. Um, They're still trying to identify and find other victims based off of his travel records. Um, But literally, that's all they have is they know he was in a certain area, but that could be anywhere in that area um because unfortunately he died with a lot of answers and secrets so i wonder what his wife says about a lot of this you know i wonder what she how she feels about it or if she's kind of like oh that's that's when he went on those trips or Mm -hmm. whatever right because i mean if He's a construction worker. He's a Mm -hmm. local construction worker. So he couldn't say to her, I have a business trip. You don't go on a business trip for construction work, probably. Or maybe he, maybe you do. I don't know. Like, I've got to go fix, build something somewhere, you know. It would be very difficult to have a family and then still be able to go on vacations, you know, alone without them. Right. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Well, 
Emily, that was a. I can't. I just cannot get over the the the. the, 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 the. I, can't, I can't get over the buckets. That's yeah. just the craziest thing, and that just that just shows me that there are so many, and the fact that they only found one body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they believe there are at least eleven people. Yeah, and that's crazy. And they're really, when you think about it, like, you know he had to have done this and, like, he confessed to it, but there's so much evidence just not there. Right. Yeah. And do you think by him writing that bizarre note is just kind of, like, do you think he was just messing with them? Like, the skulls and stuff? And, like... No, like... The, or, like, it was a rant, like, on purpose. Yeah, the bizarre oh, possibly. rant was just, like, you know, I'm just gonna, you know... Yeah, them. like he knew they would look for clues this and be like, "Ha ha, crazy!" Yeah, that would drive them crazy. And yeah, because he was an, an intelligent person. Mm-hmm. But then he says, like, it just doesn't make any sense. Or maybe it was his quote other side, yeah, other personality, the other me, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, uh, it's a shame. It's really terrible that. I mean, I don't feel bad he died, but that it's still, he chose to kill himself instead of, like, talking anymore. And Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there, there are people out there that are still looking or wondering about their loved ones. Yeah. And that Samantha's family, who they know he definitely killed, they they never got to see him go on trial for their daughter's murder. That's and, true. Because this whole time he was in custody, they were just investigating him. They hadn't mm-hmm. even, like, there was Officially. no trial or anything. Yeah. Yeah, that would be hard as the family. You want you would want just some sort of justice. Yeah. And just knowing that the killer just killed himself is I that would be just such a yeah. A letdown. I, I really yeah, of. I feel really bad for the family with that. Yeah. That's true. All right. Well, that was um I can't I can't believe that story, but Yep. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm Casey. I'm Emily. And you just heard a sprinkle of sugar, a dash of murder. <laughs>